listening to Athleisure Kitchen, where you'll get the inside scoop with those in the culinary world from celebrity chefs, food personalities, restaurateurs, and more. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith of Athleisure Mad, so set an extra plate as we chat all things culinary. On today's episode of Athleisure Kitchen, we headed to the offices of Chef's Club in Soho to sit down and talk with Michelin-starred chef and restaurateur George Mendez, who was also the cover for Athleisure Mag for the June issue about Aldea, which is located in the Flatiron District, as well as his pop-up concept in Mar, which is in residency at Chef's Club Counter in Soho through the end of August. We talk about the importance of Portuguese cuisine and his food, his passion for food, and a number of his partnerships that allow our palates to know more about Portuguese culture and dining. that you realized that you loved food and you wanted to be a chef? I, I think it it really came in stages, to be honest with you. you know, I, grew, I grew up in a Portuguese household where there was always fresh food on the table and there was always a, a patch of garden, even if it was just in the backyard or on the driveway. And my mother would always cook for my dad and my sister. And we'd always have home-cooked meals, you know, five days, six days a week. And um, when I graduated high school, I wasn't pushed in the direction to go to college or university or, or apply. All my mom and dad said were, you know, find something that you love, make money, and try to do this. It worked really hard. Mm-hmm. So it just happened to be a field trip for one one day, a trip to the Culinary Institute of America with my marketing class, and uh, I spent the day up there and fell in love with it. Um, but I, I think I truly believe that I already had a seed planted in me from just growing up around good food, mm-hmm. uh, from my mother cooking at home, but also the holiday feasts always made a big impact. You can still smell the Portuguese table, the, the, the bounty of salt cot, rice dishes, suckling pig, uh, filet mignon. And it was, it was kind of like a, a, a mingling or a marriage of Americana and Portuguese food. Mm-hmm. So like there was filet mignon and serve and turf with lobster salad, then there was like this chicken rice and wow. like rabbit, and mm-hmm. stuff like that kind of intertwined. And I just, I just, just was planted at a very, early age growing up, I just, I, the life, the culture, living in a Portuguese community always had food. <laughs> I love you're like, it's always food. There was always food, there was always food and there was like the Saints Day celebrations at the local Portuguese community club and mm-hmm. there would be sardines on the charcoal grill. Wow. And, you know, there was, you know, chicken grilling with PDP sauce, which is inspired recipes in my career mm-hmm. today, whether it's a sandwich or, you know, have a chicken or something I grew up with the same sauce that I grew up with. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's funny, it's like, it's come, I've come full circle now, in a way. That's amazing. Wow. Um, so can you tell us about your culinary experience from where you trained, the sure. different restaurants you came through, and yeah. what brought you to Aldia? Yeah. So it all started with the Culinary Institute of America in the early 90s. Uh, from there, um, I spent another year at a classical French restaurant in uh, Connecticut called Stonehenge Gin, mm-hmm. uh, classical French cooking. Um, and then I came to New York City for the first time and, and took a cooking class with uh, Chef David Boulay. And then I asked him for a job on the spot because I was mesmerized by the kitchen itself and the brigade and how it reminded me of school a little bit, but the food had a big impact and I, just, I wanted to learn a different style of, of cooking. And uh, I, stayed in, I stayed with him for almost three and a half years. In between there were stints in Paris mm-hmm. at Arpege, uh, which is now a three-star restaurant. So I was able to do that for 
um, a while as an apprentice, also later 90s. And then um, I came back to New York again and helped a uh, fellow uh, boule cook chef uh, open up his restaurant mm-hmm. called Walset, which is Austrian. Kind of you know, I went through the experience of what it was like to open a business, to mm-hmm. open a restaurant from scratch. Right. New parts. And then from there, I um, took a job as a, as a, as a, like, 24 years old, I was a chef at a little bistro called Le Zoo. And I was very young, and um, I was doing the things that I learned at Boulet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but I still had a lot. I also still had desires to still travel aboard, abroad, excuse me, and learn from more French masters. Mm-hmm. And so I went back out. I moved to Washington, D.C., which was a link to get me to go back to France again. So I did that. Went to France, south of France, Alain Ducasse, Roger Verger, and then I came back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. again and um, took a job working uh, as a chef at a restaurant uh, in Times Square. Um, very, very heavy pre-theater business. Mm-hmm. Um, insane. I was going to say, how did that feel? <laughs> yeah, it was insane. It, was, it, was, it wasn't quite scoop and serve kind of style of cooking, but it was it was high volume and everything had to be ready. To get it done. Fast. Right. Get it out. Get it out, yeah. And I missed the finesse and I missed the tinkering. And, you know, tweezers weren't around yet. We weren't, we weren't playing around with a little finesse and like beautiful <laughs> food, but that came, like, that fast forward, you know, five and eight years later. Um, and then I hit a point where there was a lot of noise coming from Spain and this avant-garde movement that was happening and the revolution and cooking and Spain's name was like, I was like, wait, Spain's name was Portugal and I just like started seeing this relationship, mm-hmm. this, this familiarity happening between the two countries, especially the flavors, the olive oil, the garlic, the tomato. And I worked with Martin Barasategui at his restaurant in San Sebastian and that was a big light bulb for me. Wow. That was when I said, wow, I really want to start creating my own style, my own identity. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I've trained for many years now, and now it's time to find my voice. Wow. And Martin Barazategui um, opened up my eyes to the cooking that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. It just says, revisit those flavors, revisit that, that, that wholesomeness, that rusticity, the, the memories in it. That, just the aromas, mm-hmm. try to interpret it, interpret it and, and put it all together and put it into a, a stock pot and mix it all up and see what comes out. Wow, so yeah. And, I, and I, then at that time I took the chef uh, was position at Tocqueville, mm-hmm. um, which was a French-American restaurant with with uh, with the agreement with the owners that I was also given an opportunity to create specials and contribute to the menu. And that was my first foray or first um, um, road to take in, in discovering what I wanted to be as a chef, mm-hmm. as a chef. and that's what started cultivating the style for Aldea and that's wow. where I started saying you know this is the food I want to do it's, it's that, and that's what I calling it refined rusticity and it's a term that I coined and talked about in the book a little bit mm-hmm. and tried to really capture the flavors of rustic Portuguese cooking and then just finesse it all in a way. Wow. How was it creating your book? Like, how much time did that take you? Two years. Wow. Yeah, yeah books, are, books are a fun project. A mm-hmm. lot of work. A lot of fun work. A lot of soul searching. <laughs> yep. A lot of hours. A lot of talking and writing and, and recipe um, development. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of things we do in the kitchen sometimes aren't measured precisely when, you, right. when you're going into, once you're doing pastry. Um, and so where we're doing the book, it was 
you know, my author Genevieve was next to me and she would measure the cups and mm-hmm. tablespoons of this. And it wasn't just a drop of olive oil right. or, a, or a dash or a, a smidgen. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> those words don't exist anymore. Right. But it was a fun project. Wow. Do you think you would do another cookbook? Yeah. Wow. Are you working on another cookbook? Not currently working on a cookbook. Mm-hmm. I think I've got, you know, got restaurant um, ideas and concepts in my, our minds right now to, mm-hmm. to focus on. But um, books are a great way to put a lot of ideas together uh, and help with your name and mm-hmm. expose it to the public more and, and be able to tell your stories so people can hold it in their hands right. and say, I'm going to go to this restaurant or I want to know more about this particular cuisine. And I really like that yeah. opportunity. I like that. So tell us about Aldea and what can you, what can a person expect when they come to eat at your restaurant? They should expect a, I almost like to say roller coaster ride in a way nice. that they're they're able to eat in an open kitchen area with a chef's counter or a chef's table or they're able to um, eat in a small more romantic booth off to the side or they're able to go upstairs and eat in the mezzanine or in private dining area would be a little more quiet so they're giving a lot of different um, dining um, environments mm-hmm. and as far as the menu goes there is that that mark of classic Portuguese flavors, but also what I like to call a free spirit. Mm-hmm. My team and I, we, we cook with the seasons, we cook with the farmer's market, we cook with what's inspiring us. Um, there's a lot of inspiration from from Japan and from other Portuguese, mm. uh, former Portuguese colonies like Goa, India, and, mm. and Brazil, and Macau, China. So there's a wow. lot of you know adventurous flavors going on there. Um, you know, and I, and I really want people to come to Aldea with an open mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's at the same time, I don't want to complicate it. I want right. people who are going hungry. It is, they might be enjoying a birthday anniversary, but they're also coming to be fed and nourished. Mm-hmm. So that's our number one responsibility. We want to, you know, we want to offer something that's creative and sometimes entertaining, but also making sure that you leave content, happy, and satiated. Wow. I like that response because <laughs> that, that is, is important. That is important. You know, we are coming to eat. So, yeah. um, so you received a number of accolades for the restaurant, including a Michelin star. Can you tell us what that means to receive that? You know, receiving a Michelin star is a great stamp. Um, being that I trained in Michelin star restaurants and then having a star of our own um, it means a lot. It's, it's great recognition, but it pushes us. Pushes up. A little harder, yeah, you know, to maintain it, mm-hmm. or sometimes you know, get a, somebody get another one. It's it's um, it, it's it's nice to be recognized, being that the the Michelin Guide is is with as French history, and, uh, and now they're globalized. It's great to have Portugal on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's two star Michelin restaurants in Lisbon and Portugal that are my colleagues, and just having this little Portuguese Portuguese inspired restaurant. In your city here, Aldea, yeah, um, means a lot to, to to be in that book. It's really, it's really, um, it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's, it's inspiring. It motivates us. It's it's great to be in that same sandbox. Wow. I mean, some people don't know how you get one. Do they take a period of time? Do they look over a period of a year? Like how? Yes, there are the Michelin Guide, notoriously and historically works anonymously um, with inspectors that visit your restaurant unannounced. Um, it could be done by themselves. It could be a party of two, four, six, or eight. Wow. We never know. Um, so it's... Being on your game all the time. Being on your game every day. <laughs> it is. It is like that. Wow. It wow. 
you have a pop-up this summer going on with Chef's Club Counter called yeah. Amar. Yeah. Can you tell us how this came about as sure. well as the collaboration because you have this amazing international model. Yes. Sana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sana? Yep. You know, with Chef's Club, I've always had a relationship over the years with, uh, with Stefan, uh, the founder, and it's, it's always been... He's always given me opportunities to to contribute to Chef's Club, the brand, um, and I've always enjoyed uh, those opportunities. And I've always had this concept of of trying out or feeding feeding uh, mass market or the lunch rush with this concept of you know what do people want for lunch, but also providing them something healthy and mm-hmm. quick, but also with the same stamp of the flavors that we do at Aldea and my DNA and the whole Portuguese thing. So. Um, you know, we spoke and I, Stefan and I spoke for a while and it, was, it grew into something that was going to be really small next mm-hmm. door to an opportunity to take the whole corner of Chef's Club counter. And um, here we are two weeks in and um, it's going great. You know, it's wow. great to, to have that opportunity for Soho and the foot traffic and, mm-hmm. and the lunch rush, which is a whole different uh, ball game for me and for you know, to, to, to feed people in an hour and a half, you know, yeah. a rush of people, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking 150 to 200 people within an hour and a half, wow. which it's a total different direction from what we're used to doing out there. So it takes, it takes some time to adjust, and to, mm-hmm. you know, tinker and like food has to be played within 10 seconds instead of one minute, you know, and you have, you have to, things are a lot more immediate right. and, you know, we're discovering new cooking techniques and holding techniques and buying ingredients that travel well and you know, for to-go orders using, using uh, online ordering platforms. So mm. it's, it's, been, it's been fun. It's, mm-hmm. been, it's been a learning curve um, and challenging and uh, a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, how are you able to juggle the needs of that versus all day? Like in a general day, what is your day like? Well, I'm lucky that Aldea doesn't serve lunch, so I'm able to do lunch at Amar, just mm-hmm. on counter, and then be able to do dinner at Aldea mm-hmm. at night. Even though Amar does stay open until later, but you know, I'm trying to split my time. Right. The, two. the month of June has been heavy mm-hmm. with uh, focusing on Amar for now, but um, it's been, uh, been going really well because of the fact that there's only... Well, first, Aldea is open five days a week, dinner right. only. Tuesday through Saturday, and the Mars is lunch mm-hmm. every day. <laughs> still, I can imagine that's that's still a lot to juggle. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's it's um, I like to push myself in prison, and I like challenges mm-hmm. and, and problems and and, and um, things where it gives me the opportunity to grow mm-hmm. because we can very easily become stagnant and regress mm-hmm. and rest on our laurels, which you know you end up just not moving. Right. So, you know, Amar, opening Amar to counter this for the summer doing this pop-up has given me a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I really love. Well, why was it important for you to participate in the pop-up? Like, what was your goal for doing it? Well, first, first and foremost is definitely to, to test Amar and the concept. Mm-hmm. And test the environment or the, test the environment for fast casual and, and see what that's like yeah you know I, I think a lot of chefs these days that have fine dining restaurant they want to look dabble in the fast casual or, or the quick serve environment and um i was given this opportunity to do this for three months as a pop-up so it's wow. a good it's a it's an opportunity for a prototype of mm-hmm. something that could be permanent afterwards mm-hmm. um that's that's the main the main focal point here it's really smart thing. yeah yeah but also make sure that 
you know, we still have, we also have a responsibility mm-hmm. that the people that are the paying customers that are getting something good to eat and quick. Um, and I, I think I'm coming, I come on board with the same focus, same standards of excellence that we have at Aldea. Mm-hmm. And also the reputation of Chess Club. And, you know, we, we're doing a lot with Michelin and the 4x4 dinners, as you know. And, yep. You know, uh, representing that brand, the Chess Club brand, mm-hmm. through Chess Club Counter in a quick service environment is... It's fun. It's 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 a an interesting time. Wow! How important do you think it is as a chef? And not only you know you are a great restaurateur and a chef, and you're on TV and you're doing all these different things. How important is that for your brand to be shown in these different ways? I like the opportunity to feed more people, reach out different audience. Mm-hmm. Precisely, you know we. Aldea is a fine dining restaurant. You know, we have a, um, a check average, an average diner can spend um, about $110 to $130 per person um, for a number of courses and, and beverages. And doing Amar, you know, we're now in the bracket of $20 per right. person, $18 per person. Um, so I, I, I really enjoy the opportunity to feed more people at a different mm-hmm. time of the day. Right. The lunch rush Mm -hmm. and the quick serve, the quick serve environment. Wow. Yeah. What are your favorite dishes, and it can come from either restaurant, that are three signature dishes that people need to try? Um, At Aldea, I still, it's been 10 years, but the arroz de pato, the duck rice, has been a signature dish Mm -hmm. that I've always enjoyed. Um, And the sea urchin toast at Aldea, I think it's a tie. Oh my gosh, I have to say the shrimp too. The shrimp onion, it keeps going. See, um, see, yeah, <laughs> you can't just going. do three. Yeah. <laughs> and then at Amar, you know, how do we want fun with these salads? Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's only been two weeks and building a salad that is going to quench your, your hunger or satisfy you for, you know, running out of work for half an hour, etc. Mm-hmm. And giving a protein and veggies and greens and kind of, you know, trying to hit every food group and then, you know, dancing with all people's dietary restrictions and people exactly. are vegan and they want gluten-free and dairy-free and nut allergies. You know, so it's been it's been challenging, mm-hmm. but um, I, I welcome it because, you know, this is the, the age that we live in right now where there are yeah. a lot of demands and people are very food savvy and they're mm-hmm. watching what they eat. And that's what, you know, that's what Amar is. Amar is, is Amar meaning to love in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. It has this you know, care involved and care for your body and for and what you're putting into it, you know, high quality ingredients and care with the preparation and care with serving it. You know, a lot of, you know, there's, there's trying to, it's a very delicate dance between producing a lot of food in a short period of time right. and presenting in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to kind of put into this mixing bowl. Exactly. So what are three of your favorite ingredients that you always like to have on hand, whether you're at the restaurant or at home? Really good Portuguese extra virgin olive oil, uh, fleur de sel, which is a flower, flower of salt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the last one has to be parsley, fresh parsley, fresh cilantro, and lemon thyme. I think mm. those three herbs are an anchor of, of, of my cuisine and what we really try to power. I mean, it's a, it's a balance of, of proteins and meats and, and, and vegetables. And I love citrus as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, I cook with a lot of zests of lemon and lime. I love the, bright, the brightness and the city that they give. 
Iberian cuisine in Portugal are focuses within your cuisine, and you're also participating in a culinary this tour uh, this fall in Portugal, and you're also part of Air Portugal. Like all these different things that you're doing, how important are those elements? I I think it, it's really it's important to bring awareness mm -hmm. to Portuguese gastronomy. I think that we're still under the radar. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we're still at the level of say Italy or France or even Spain or neighbors still have a slight edge on us. And I think I, I try to build awareness and with my colleagues in Portugal as well. And bringing a group of people and on an itinerary all over the wine country of Portugal and dining in restaurants and cooking and demonstrations and talking about the culture of Portuguese uh, gastronomy is is just another bump or another little push mm -hmm. into, into um, calling for exposure or calling right. for attention and saying, hey, we're here, here was a little country and we're trying to introduce something well. We've got a lot of talented chefs here. Uh, we have beautiful landscapes, beautiful architecture, beautiful uh, ingredients. I think we have some of the best seafood in the world mm -hmm. and being, having an opportunity to to show people there that go on this trip and also with what I'm doing here in New mm -hmm. York and with Tap Air Portugal um, and, and the airlines and, and business classes presenting people with with Portuguese flavors but also with an Aldeia, Aldeia mm -hmm. DNA, mm -hmm. DNA in there. And, and again, along that same goal of showing travelers and people that are flying to Lisbon or Portugal yeah. for the first time giving them an introduction to mm. what Portuguese cuisine is on their flight. Wow. I think, you know, a lot of times airline food has a bad rap. And I think that, you know, um, things like these give us an opportunity to, to make it better. I like that that you're seeing. It's like these, an, these kind of initiatives really help. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea of having that intro to the culinary space by being on that flight and having that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, well, obviously you travel a lot. Um, what are three things that are always in your carry-on? Uh, wipes, cucumber, wipes <laughs> refresh. I, I just love you know the air in airplanes. Yeah, is so um, so stale and yeah. dry. I just you know waking up in a nap after a nap on an airplane. I love. I love to rest. Mm -hmm. I'm not a very good flyer. I hate turbulence. So, so I, do I. I. Always take, I always take something to calm me. Um, a lot of homeopathic herbs right now mm -hmm. uh, that I enjoy. And a good pair of headphones, noise-canceling headphones, an eye pillow, an eye mask, um, and then a good snack. I always try to board with a good yogurt um, mm -hmm. or a kind bar, mm -hmm. which is kind of a protein bar. Mm -hmm. um, I always enjoy those. I think those are on top. I like that. Okay. And make sure that I, if it's a really long trip, make sure that I have some good music downloaded as well as a movie or two. Who are you listening to right now? Uh, Tame Impala is an indie band mm -hmm. uh, led by Kevin Parker. They're Australian. They're mm -hmm. amazing. Wow. Go see them live. Go see them live again in August at Madison Square Garden. And I gotta be honest with you, I think I love all kind, all genres of music. Mm -hmm. I'm into hip hop one day, the next day I'm into classical rock, and then I'm into jazz. And Amar, our playlist is very heavily into Brazilian samba and jazz. Mm -hmm. I just, I think music, music is very powerful. Yeah, it really um, resonates me and sets my mood. Mm -hmm. It makes me happy, or if I'm upset about something, I listen to some music, and it, it just turns things around, or it just can take a really happy moment and make it even happier. So I, I really think um, 
and that's sometimes I talk to people like, oh yeah, music does absolutely nothing for me. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? Like everyone has to have a soundtrack. You have to have a soundtrack. <laughs> no, like that doesn't doesn't have an anybody. Like it's just so weird. It's a little, well, it's almost like the people who say I don't like dogs or cat or whatever your animal of choice is. Yeah. You're like, mm, that's a little weird. I, right. <laughs> so, are you a person who loves to work out? Like, what do you do to work out? I run. I'm a runner. I've done a lot of uh, half marathons and marathons. Mm. Right now, I'm a little injured, but um, I like running. Mm-hmm. I really love the um, the exertion of it and the mental strength that it takes mm-hmm. to, to race and to do distance running, whether it's you know 13.1 miles or 26.2 running a marathon. I love I love runners high. I love mm-hmm. what I feel after going out for a, at least a 30 minute easy pace run Mm -hmm. it builds a lot of uh, clarity strength and um, I'm able to just spend some time with myself in my own head Mm -hmm. Um, it's always been a good thing for me and then I'm on my bike I assume you were a cycler yeah I I, I like I like uh, cycling my girlfriend and I Suzanne we tend to find ourselves on our days off she has a very intense job as well we use Sunday Sunday afternoons to go for a nice long bike ride Mm. we really enjoy that that's nice. So what keeps you inspired in terms of when you're cooking? Like, um, is it certain travel destinations? Is it various goals you have that you want to do above and beyond what you're already doing? I'm, always, I'm definitely inspired by travel. I'm inspired by visiting new restaurants mm-hmm. um, and catching up with my friends to see what they're doing. I think uh, Lisbon with the new two-star restaurants that it has and the one-stars and people that these young chefs that are just coming into their own and yeah. their own voice and then going places like Mexico go to Tulum and, and eating and eating in some of these restaurants that are just have these great Yucatan recipes and ingredients and these salsas and just like uh, cooking outside on an open wood wood fire grill I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is really inspiring but I think what really keeps me motivated is is just being in the kitchen and looking at fresh ingredients and and cutting them open and seeing what they taste like and, and paying attention to the color, the texture, and what what possible new combinations I can come up with, or you know, doing wacky things like, well, why not grill a cucumber where usually it's just raw? You know, like that's mm-hmm. just, that's like a just little aspect, but yeah, I love tinkering around. Mm-hmm. I love being in the kitchen where I can let the team take care of the regular customers and I can have an opportunity to just cook whatever it is that I'm feeling at the moment with no menu, no guidelines, no rules, just to be able to express what I'm feeling in the moment. Wow. Well, my final question is, are there culinary areas, like in terms of like locations that you've yet to go to surprisingly, that is on your bucket list that you want to go to just get inspired in those areas as well? I want to go to South America, hmm. um, Brazil included, uh, Argentina, Chile, Peru. Um, I really want to visit those those countries. Wow. Uh, I've heard, I just hear and read and see um, in your stories of people going there and what the ingredients are like. And, this is like Chile, just to see, you know, mm-hmm. they have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different varieties of potatoes and other tubers. Oh, wow. It's like fun to, to go see that. We can't wait to sit with you again every two weeks to share another great story with you at Athleisure Kitchen. Athleisure Kitchen is a part of Athleisure Studio, our multimedia podcast network, which is a division of Athleisure Media, and whose sister site is Athleisure Mag. 
Get the latest episode by enjoying us on your favorite podcast platform and by checking out the show notes for additional content. You can stay in the loop on who future guests are by visiting us at athleisuestudio.com backslash athleisure kitchen and on Instagram at athleisure kitchen and at athleisure studio. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith. Athleisure Kitchen is executive produced by Paul Farkas and myself. It is mixed by the team at Athleisure Studio and is available on your preferred podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you enjoy listening. We'll see you guys in two weeks, so make sure that you set an extra plate for us.